There's got to be another way, right? Did you ever say that before? There's got to be another way, right? You know, those are my thoughts. I found myself, it was many years ago, with my car. I was having problems with the window. And when I discovered how much it would cost to fix the window, I thought to myself, there's got to be another way. There just has to be another way. There's another solution to this, right? See, if, here's the deal. If I put my window down, there's a good chance, a good percentage, a high percentage, that the window would not go back up. That was an issue. That was, that was a problem. So the second problem was the cost to fix it, okay? Because I knew if they opened up the side panel and they'd started, look, they'd probably find something else wrong, right? So in my mind, I'm thinking there's got to be another way. So I'm thinking, okay, spring's on the way. Warm weather, that's good. So if it gets stuck, it's okay. Two, plastic is fine. Three, duct tape works for everything, right? And four, I've always wanted a sunroof on the side, right? Well, there has to be another way. So, you know, sometimes something as simple as a car repair or maybe it's more difficult, like fixing a relationship, or a job issue, or a health issue. And we sort of look at that whole thing and we say, there's got to be another way, right? There's just got to be another way. I don't know if you ever caught yourself saying that. But I was thinking about this as I was studying and reading through the Bible and get to the part about the life of Jesus and his final week and what led up to his crucifixion. And I have to imagine, I have to think that somewhere along the line, maybe, just maybe, Jesus and his disciples said, there's got to be another way, right? There's got to be. Because you see, the, the road to the cross was tough. The road to the cross was painful. And it was expensive when you consider it cost the life of Jesus Christ. There has to be another way, right? You know, I was thinking too about well, when, did ex when exactly did the road to the cross begin? You know, we're, we're throwing that term out there. You're going to hear it Again, on that Wednesday night event we're doing in the next two weeks, this Sunday, next Sunday, the road to the cross. When did that exactly begin, this road to the cross? How about in Genesis, when sin first entered the world, and then God says, oh, now I'm going to put into plan a redemption for mankind. Was that when it began? Maybe it was in the Old Testament prophets as they prophesied about a Messiah coming, a Redeemer coming. Maybe the road to the cross began when Jesus Christ was born. God in the flesh is now here. Maybe the road to the cross began the week before Passover, the final week of Jesus' life, when he rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. Maybe that's when the road to the cross began. I I'm going to tell you this. We're going to loosely define as the road to the cross being that final week. And now there's no proper definition, and there might be hundreds of books out there all saying similar things. We're just going to go with that final week. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that donkey, and then everything that took place, the conversations, the arguments, the Last Supper, the betrayal, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the trials before Caiaphas and, and, and the religious leaders, before Pilate, the scourging, the brutal beating, and the cross. We're going to call that the road to the cross. But I want to take you maybe a year or so <clears throat> before that happened. 
into the life of Jesus. Turn with you with me into your Bibles, to the book of Luke, okay? The book of Luke. If you need a Bible, we have Bibles in the back. We'd be more than glad to bring you one. Just raise your hand and we'll bring one in your direction. Get that one. Thanks, Lindsay. You give them, yep. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. That's why we have them here for you. If you need one, give a shout. Get God's word in your hand. Luke chapter 9. As you're turning there, children, you've got those white boards in front of you. There's what you can draw for me, okay? You can make some kind of road, some kind of path on that white board, and at the end of the path, put the cross where Jesus was going, okay? That's all you need to start with so far, all right? Luke chapter 9. It's all time to get there. We're going to start in verse 18. Now, to understand, this has taken place after. Uh, Jesus had fed 5,000 people. Some incredible things have been happening. It says in verse 18, One day, as Jesus was alone praying, he came over to his disciples and asked them, Who do people say I am? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist. You sort of hear all these disciples sort of pipe it up. John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some, some think you're a prophet, an ancient prophet, risen from the dead. You know, they can all sort of be piping up. And Jesus says, who do you say I am? Hear the reference on the change here? Peter steps and goes, you are the Messiah sent from God. Came up with the correct answer, right? Check out what happens next. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about this. For I, the Son of Man, must suffer many terrible things, he said. I'll be rejected by the leaders, the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law. I'll be killed but three days later, I will be raised from the dead. Jesus begins a conversation about how his life is going to end. The mission of the cross. Who do you say I am? You're Jesus the Messiah. You are correct. Now, we're not going to talk about this anymore. You're not going to tell people, but I'm going to tell you from here out. I'm going to have to suffer many things. And he started at that point in time talking about what would happen on that road to the cross. Before this, there was no talk of that. Now Jesus says, let's start talking about the road to the cross. There'll be a lot of suffering. There'll be pain. I'll be killed, matter of fact. But on the third day, I'll be raised alive. In Matthew 16, verses 16 to 17, we also read a similar story, okay? Matthew records the same thing, but Matthew adds this. He says, Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah. Okay, same thing, son of living God. But in verse 17 of Matthew 16, Jesus says, You are blessed, Simon, son of John. This is, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. So you got to love this, because Jesus says this. Jesus says, God, my heavenly Father, has put something in your heart. He's been working in you, disciples. Oh, he's been working in you. And you're getting it. You have to imagine that Jesus sort of had a little, little smile going on. He's like, you get it. You didn't figure this one out on your own, Peter. God told you. You're getting it. The relationship has deepened with his disciples. Their understanding is greater. They're more spiritual in depth. So Jesus begins to prepare them for the road to the cross. It's like, you're starting to understand who I am. This is good. So let me start to reveal some things that are going to be tough to swallow. He starts talking about on the road to the cross. Something that his disciples are going to learn about this road to the cross is obedience. Let me hear you say obedience. 
Look at the person next to you and say, we have to obey. Absolutely. Obedience is a part of, of who we are as Christians. Obedience was always in the DNA of Jesus Christ. Obedience was a huge factor in the road to the cross. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. We're in Luke. Go back one more book. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. When you're in John, turn to chapter 12. John chapter 12. Jesus is anointed with that perfume. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Right into Jerusalem on the, on the donkey. And then verse 23. Jesus says this. The time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. The truth is, a kernel of wheat must be planted in the soil. Unless it dies, it will be alone, a single seed. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Listen carefully. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who despise this life in this world will keep it for eternal life. All those who want to be my disciples must come and follow me because my servants must be where I am. And if they follow me, the Father will honor them. Verse 27. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from what lies ahead? But that's the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. In that passage, and it's really cool, is right after that, then a voice came from heaven. And it was God. He goes, I've already brought glory to my name. And I'll do it again. And everybody around this, it says that when the crowd heard the voice, they, some thought it was thunder, some thought it was an angel speaking. They're all amazed. But did you see what's happening here? Jesus is entering the final week on earth, on this road to the cross. He rides in on a donkey. He's sitting there with his disciples. A few other people probably coming in and listening to his teachings. He knows what lies ahead. The betrayals, the beatings, the scourgings, the humiliation, the pain, the sorrow, the death that awaits him. This is the road to the cross. And did you hear what he prayed? Because he, oh, he, he was saying all these wonderful things. Then he said this, what? Father, save me from this hour. Is that how I should pray, he says? Take me off this road, right? It's the road to the cross. Maybe I don't want to be on this road. Father, let's read that again. Now my soul's deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from what lies ahead? But did you see what he quickly replied? But this is what I came for. This is what I came for, the road to the cross. That's why I'm here. You know, a lot of times we don't like the roads we travel. We don't like the journeys we're on because it gets tough sometimes, doesn't it? On our last vacation, we were going from uh, Williamsburg to, to Philadelphia. It's supposed to be a four, four and a half hour trip, okay? Take Highway 95, straight north. What you don't know is that Highway 95 is the only major highway that really gets you from point A to point B there. And everybody drives it. Everybody. Even people in California. I think they were driving it that day when we were there. I mean, I, everybody in the West said, let's go out to the East, drive 95, because Rex and his family is going on vacation. Let's slow them down. And what should have been a four and a half hour trip was like going to be eight hours. 30 miles per hour on a 70 mile per hour highway. Bumper to bumper. Oh, good, we're moving in. No, we're not. They got really old really quick, right? So I thought, I'm going to choose my own route. I'm going to take some side roads, some side highways off there, you know. It's not 95, but you know what? I'm still going to end up in Philadelphia, and I'm going to avoid all this stuff. 
Now, the question is, did it work? Yes. Because I picked it, right? And no, for other reasons. Okay? I avoided a few things. I avoided that bumper to bumper, 35, 30 miles per hour, slow start. Yeah. I avoided that, but here's what I didn't avoid. I didn't avoid the back roads with the hills and the curves and, and stop signs and small towns. So it, there was a few things that slowed me down. It was better than being on that highway, I'll say that. But I chose to find another way. But guess what? My way didn't prove to be what? The best, right? But it was my way. Because that other route wasn't so good. So I'm going to choose my way. Problem is, a lot of times when we choose our way, sometimes it's not the best way. Matter of fact, sometimes with not so much my way, but I'm going to listen to somebody else because here's somebody who knows what they're talking about. I'm going to get some good advice. And they said, this is the route you should take. I was in a grocery store recently, and, and I had my cart ready to go. Now, you all know that I shared with you, if I wasn't a pastor and I wasn't doing what I do with FCA, I would be what? A handicapped police person, right? I'd check for people in the handicap. Remember that? Okay. Here would be my third, fourth job, okay? My fourth job would be this. I'd be a line investigator at every store. I'm the person who pulls up and investigates which is going to be the quickest line to get through. Oh, I'm not waiting in line. Okay, I've got my cart. I want to check out. They're moving pretty quick. They're pretty slow. There's three people in that line, two people in that line. They put the cart there. And they've got a lot in that cart. This line right here, okay? I measure out these things, okay? So I got my cart. I'm moving into my eye. There's one person here, one person here. A lot of stuff, not so much stuff. They got their stuff on the belt, this line. That's what I did. So I got my cart. I'm in that line. I'm ready to roll. And there was this very helpful lady who was standing back here. And I guess that was her job was to examine the lines, okay? That was her job. I didn't know you actually had a job, but she had a job doing it. And she stood back here and she's like, sir, they can help you on that line. Now, listen, I already have my cart. I'm in front of my cart. Now, if you know this position as the line person, you should know that once a person engages to the front of their cart, there ain't no coming back. You know what I'm saying? Hands in the cart, putting things on the belt. So I'm in front of my cart, and I'm getting ready to put stuff up. She goes, sir, we can help you on aisle five. And I'm sitting there going, well, I'm already here. And you know what? She probably knows what she's talking about. That's her job. That's the job I wanted in life, okay? And she's got it. And so I've got to listen to her. So, oh, okay. So I sort of push my cart back out and I get around it and I get, and I get over here and I get up. It's like, as I'm pulling it, I'm going, I think that was the better line. Okay. And I start putting my stuff up. What I didn't realize was this lady in front of me now, she had like 50 coupons. <laughs> and then the lady checking around, it's like, oh, wait, did you get three of those? And now she's looking through all the bags, zipping around. Yep. Oh, there's one, two. Like, oh, no, I picked the wrong line. I listened to that lady. Because she said, sir, she called me sir. That was very polite of her, right? I thought she had good advice for me. So I went with that advice. Bad advice. Bad advice. Look at the person next to you and say, bad advice. That's what I'm saying. Amen. All right. Here, here's the deal. Here's the deal. There's a route, a way that always seems better, right? Whether I choose that or whether I listen to the advice of somebody else saying, this is a better way. And a lot of times, I will listen to myself or I'll listen to this advice before I listen to God. And guess what happens? It's the wrong advice. should have listened to God. I, I, I should have, you know, the road to the cross, the road to the cross for Jesus Christ had one path, one route. 
And Jesus could have said, I, you know what, I think this might be a better way. And his disciples, oh, they did, they actually, actually chimed in throughout the Gospels and said, no, Jesus, you, they probably had some good advice. Why? Because they love Jesus. You know what, people who love you always give you good advice, right? Well, in their eyes at least, right? Because they love you. The disciples of Jesus loved him dearly. So they gave him advice too. But Jesus knew this, the path, the road, that route to the cross, one way. And that included an act of obedience. So obedience is the initial part of the journey. Turn on your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Now you've got to go back a little bit further in the New Testament. The book of Hebrews, chapter 5. As you're turning to Hebrews, chapter 5, kids, you've got, any, you've got that route. Can I see what you've got so far? This is looking awesome. Great. Okay, now, we will kind of mess you up a little bit. You might have to get a cloth or something and just make a couple open white spots because you might color something else in there, okay? That's good. That is real good. Because, kids, you got that little route. Now you're going to draw some things on each side of that path that you think is really good, and maybe draw a couple things you think are really bad. Okay? Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 to 9. While Jesus was on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings. Did you hear that? He offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears. When Jesus was praying here on earth, he cried to the point where it was loud and where he's crying. He says, to the one who could rescue him from death. Before Christ went to the cross on this road, on this path, there were some tears shed. There were some loud cries going out to his heavenly Father. God, are you sure this is the way? His tears came down, pleading to the one who could rescue him from his death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Verse 8, even though Jesus was God's son, listen to this next point, this is important, you might want to underline this. He learned obedience from the things he suffered. Did you catch that? He learned obedience from the things he suffered. The road to the cross included obedience. He cried out to the one who could rescue him. Jesus was heard. His prayers were heard. Why? Because of his reverence and his relationship to his heavenly Father. He learned obedience as he prayed, and God pointed to the cross, and Jesus obeyed. And how did Jesus learn obedience? Endurance of affliction persevering in suffering time. That's how we learn to obedient, be obedient. You all know this. I know this. But for some reason, we bypass it. Obedience isn't always pleasurable. Being obedient doesn't always feel good. Being obedient isn't convenient. Did you ever know that? And we think, well, it doesn't feel good and it's not very convenient, so why am I doing this? Because we've got to be obedient. Obedient may require work and sacrifice and suffering and pain. That's a part of being obedient. Parents, we know this. We want our kids to do things. We want our kids to be obedient to us. That means they're going to have to probably work. It's probably not going to be convenient for them. They would rather play a game than be obedient to what mom or dad said, right? Oh, so not convenient for them. But that's the path of obedience. The road to the cross meant obedience for Jesus. He obeyed to the suffering of the cross. And what was the result? It says there, in this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest. He became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. See, Jesus was made perfect and complete in all of this that God required for a Savior. I need 
a Savior to save this world. In order to that, I need somebody who's going to be obedient. He became the perfect Redeemer, the provision and the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world by His death. Obedience is learned in times of suffering. So let me ask you this, family. How are we doing in being obedient? On a scale of 1 to 10, I'm horrible at being obedient. 10, I'm awesome at being obedient. God says, I jump. You know, you jump, I jump. God says, do this, I do this. I'm a very obedient person when it comes to things spiritually. Where are you at? Because obedience is, is this. Let me help you out here a little bit further. Let's, let's further define obedience, okay? Obedience is also proclaiming that you have no personal rights. What? Obedience is also proclaiming that I have no personal rights. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 7, Paul says this well in reference to Jesus Christ. Paul said this, Though he was God, referring to Jesus Christ, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up, let me hear you say gave up. He gave up his divine privileges and he took a humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. Jesus Christ gave that all up. Obedience is letting go of your personal rights. Why is obedience tough for us? Because we have a hard time humbling ourselves. We really do. We have a hard time taking on that form of a servant. Our problem, it's called entitlement. Well, I deserve this. I deserve a raise. You know how much I work? I deserve a raise. You know what? I deserve to start because I'm a senior. I, I deserve a kiss because I paid for supper. I deserve that big cupcake all oh, icing because I worked out today, right? We believe we are entitled to things because we did something else. Well, I'm entitled to this. Well, I'm telling you something. Obedience is sometimes saying, because I'm obedient, I have no personal rights. I don't deserve that. That's just part of being obedient. Sometimes you just got to do the job and not expect anything in return. That's a part of being obedient. But we cling to our rights and we think we deserve things. That's a tough one to swallow because when we became a Christian, guess what? We gave up our rights to the one who has the right to be our Lord. Taking up the cross, living by the cross, means we have no more rights. He's our Lord. We take a knee and we humbly bow to our Lord and Savior. And when we do that, guess what? I have no more rights. And to the one who saved us with that amazing grace, oh, we all should humbly bow and be okay with that. We've seen those songs, you know, where you go, I'll go. Remember those, remember those songs we've seen like that? Will you really? Are those words just to a song we sing? Are we really ready to yield to Jesus and go where he wants us to go and do what he wants us to do and be who he wants us to be? Or are we just going to sing the songs? Jesus yielded all of his rights, the equality with God, the ability to function like God, and instead he released his rights into God's hands. And because he let go of his personal rights and obeyed God, guess what? We never have to face hell or separation from God. That's good news. Because he let go of his personal rights and obeyed his heavenly Father, 
we are given an incredible grace and salvation to keep us from hell and separation of God. That's worth smiling about. That's worth rejoicing. So let me ask you, how are you doing in being humble? How are you doing in giving up your rights? It's tough, isn't it? It's tough to be humble. It's tough to be obedient at times. Because that road to the cross, that route that we know we're supposed to take is, I think my way is better. And I heard somebody else tell me that this is even a better way. It's so much easier to listen to myself or the people who love me, but not realizing that the one who loves me the most, the most, is this the way. Be obedient to it. The road to the cross was tough for Jesus. It's tough for us. Especially when we've been let down. Especially when we've been betrayed, right? Especially when we've tasted unfaithfulness. But trust me, Jesus knows how you feel. Right? Jesus knows exactly how you feel. Because he's been betrayed. He's been let down. He's had commitments and relationships that have cheated on him and left him. He gets it. But guess what? Jesus stayed on that road to the cross. See, the true level of one's commitment and obedience isn't tested by good times, but by times of conflict and disagreement. I think it's easy to walk together with my brothers and sisters in Christ, those people we call friends and family, when things are going good. But what happens when you disagree or experience conflict in your relationship? When Judas Iscariot came to the Garden of Gethsemane that night, he betrayed Jesus. He said something that really revealed that he's never really submitted to Jesus. The truth about Judas' recognition and his submission to the authority of Jesus was exposed that night. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark. Okay? If you're in Hebrews, go to Mark now, back in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, the beginning of the New Testament, I mean. Book of Mark, chapter 14. Some of your translations are going to read differently. I'll tell you what the Greek says in a second. Mark chapter 14, verse 45. Jesus is being betrayed and arrested here. As soon as they arrive, Judas walks up to Jesus. And look what he does. He goes, teacher, teacher, he exclaimed. And he gave him the kiss. A kiss of betrayal. Judas called him teacher, teacher. In some translations, it says rabbi, rabbi. Most translations show a repetitiveness of the word. Sometimes it only says one, just maybe it says teacher or rabbi. The word rabbi or master, when translated, gives this idea of this masterful teacher, but the, the word literally means teacher. Judas, who walked with Jesus for three years, his disciple, walks up to Jesus that night to betray him, and Judas looks at him and goes, teacher teacher. Teacher, teacher? Is that all he is to you, Judas? Now we know where you really are. Because, see, titles are important because they define relationships. Dad, mom, there's a title. That defines an incredible relationship with a parent and their child. Not many people have those titles. Boss defines that relationship between an employee and employer, right? Mr. President defines a relationship between a nation and its leader. A world without titles would be very chaotic, wouldn't it? Confusing because titles give rank, order, definition of relationships. And Jesus even said this, John 13, 13. You call me teacher and Lord. You're right, because that's what I am. I'm a teacher, but I'm also your Lord. He's saying this to his disciples, okay? One of those disciples was Judas, who was in the room. 
But when Judas approaches Jesus, what does he say? Teacher, teacher. You can call him Lord. When he approached Jesus and I didn't use the word Lord. He expresses the idea of one who is ultimate and author supreme authority in his life. And Judas did not submit to that authority. Had Judas called Jesus Lord tonight, it would have meant that Judas really did surrender his life to Jesus' control and authority in his life, but he didn't. Judas didn't use the word Lord. He used the word teacher. He never really became under God's authority. Jesus knew it was in the heart of Judas. You know that? Long before that moment ever arrived. Don't you think about this? Yet Jesus continually showed grace to Judas. He showed a closeness to Judas. He showed patience with Judas. Jesus graciously extended his time and attention to Judas to correct the fatal flaws in his disciples' character, help them get things right. But Jesus knew that Judas would never submit to his authority. He would always call him teacher, teacher, not teacher, Lord. With all that love of Jesus and patience, the choice was still who's to make. Judas. It's still up to Judas to bend the knee. It's still up to Judas to make the choice. That road to the cross... The road that we have to take of obedience and following Jesus, guess who still makes that final choice? We do. We still have to be the ones to humble ourselves and obediently follow Jesus. The road to the cross contains moments like this. But Jesus, being betrayed, knew he was going to be betrayed, moved forward. Jesus could have taken matters into his own hands, you know that? He could have demanded a different way. There's a really cool passage in Matthew 26, 53. You can mark it, write it down, check this out later. But when he's arrested in the garden, it's, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they all record this moment. Matthew records this part he's, where Jesus says, don't you realize, you know, that all these soldiers are here to take a man, right? Hundreds of soldiers. Now, I want, I want to help you with this here. He just displayed an incredible power, too. They said, who are you seeking? He goes, Jesus of Nazareth. He goes, I am and when he said, I am, two words, get back to Moses, okay? I am, what happened? All the soldiers fell to the ground. It's like, they all fall down, right? Incredible power, two words, I am. They all get back up, dust off, right? And Jesus says, don't you realize, Matthew 26, 53, don't you realize I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? I could, I could change the road to the cross right now. I really could, is what he's telling them. When you take into account the power that was already demonstrated in the garden when Jesus just used those two powers, then add in this potential power here, the assistance of 12 legions of angels, it becomes obvious that there's no human force possible strong enough to take Jesus. No way. The only way Jesus is going to be taken is if Jesus obediently gives himself up on that road to the cross. Kids, how are we doing on those drawings? On those open spots, do me a favor. Draw, if you can, what you think an angel would look like, okay? In some of those spots, okay? I know you've drawn a few other things, but draw some angels. Because here's the, the word legion is a military term used for Roman armies. Now, Jesus said, I can get 12 legions of angels, okay? What's a legion? Well, it denoted a group of at least, minimum, 6,000 soldiers. Actually, it's 6,826, 6,100 foot soldiers and 726 horsemen, okay? So you can imagine, let's just go with the lower, let's round it down to 6,000, okay? 
Now you look at Mark chapter 5, verse 19. The Bible tells us that there's a demon-possessed man and, and uh, Gardarines and the legion of demons were inside this man. A legion of demons inside this man. 6,000 demons inside a man. Just, it's mentioned through the Bible when you hear legion, okay? Just think how horrible that would have been, okay? So how many angels would 12 legions be, okay? Now again, let's go with that 6,000 mark. Jesus said the Father would give him more than 12 legions. We're just going to stick with 12, okay? Because it could have been more, okay? But one legion is 6,000 angels. So if you simply multiply that number by 12, you're going to discover that 12 legions of angels would be a minimum of 72,000 angels. That's just one legion, okay? But Jesus said the Father would give him more than 12 legions if he needed. But could you imagine 72,000 angels standing around Jesus, hovering over Jesus, over top Jesus, and then these hundreds of men with their clubs and lanterns and knives, sort of like big swallows, right? But that was just one legion. Now, what would be the combined strength of the number of angels? Angels are powerful, fact, right? So in Isaiah 37, uh, 36, it records that a single angel obliterated 185,000 men in one night. One angel, 185,000 men in one night. Pretty strong angels, okay? So if an angel of that kind of power, how much combined strength would be in 12 legions of angels? So let's do this. Single angel is able to obliterate 185,000 men. It means that the combined strength of a legion of 6,000 angels would be enough to be able to destroy 1,110,000,000 men just the combined strength of one legion. Now let's multiply that same number, 185,000, by 12 legions, or at least 72,000 angels, which was the number of angels Jesus had available, going with the minimum number, because he had a minimum of 12 legions. Still following me on this? Oh, PowerPoint would have been awesome. Sorry. Okay, anyway. So when we do that, we find this strength, combined number of 12 legions of angels with the power to obliterate 185,000 men times one angel times now what? 72,000. We're going to come up with this number right here. 13,320,000,000. That's about twice the number of people living on earth right now. Jesus had that power at his disposal in that moment in the garden. He's standing and goes, I've got 12 legions plus right now I could call on. I could obliterate the number of people on this planet times two. You sure you want to take me in? At that point in time, they all could have said, uh-uh, go free, right? Jesus had that power, but what did he do? He gave it up. Why? Because he wanted to be obedient to the cross. He wanted to be obedient. By the way, if Jesus had that kind of power, which he does, if Jesus has that kind of power, does he have the power to fix any problem you ever come across? Think about what you're facing now on your road on your journey. The road to the cross, obedience was needed. And Jesus said, I could with this power, but I'm giving it up. I'm going to be obedient. And in being obedient, he went to the cross for you and I. Think about that same power. Because if he has that kind of power to do whatever he wants, do you think he has enough power to help you with your problems right now? Before you jump in and make things worse by making... Uh, things better with your own hands. My way's good. My friend said this way's good. Before we all do that, can we just step back and say, maybe I just need to be obedient to what God wants me to do right now. 
Remind yourself that Jesus can handle your problem without your intervention. And before you do anything else, just pray. Pray. Ask the Lord what you're supposed to do. Maybe God's going to say, nothing. You're not supposed to do anything. Just let me help. And when you see if your answer, follow the instructions. That's called obedience, obey. And then watch what God does. Watch his supernatural power swing in action, solve the problems you're facing. Worship team, would you please come up? The road to the cross means obedience. Humbling, giving up yourself, obeying the journey that God's given you. Obedience is trusting God to be who he claims to be in spite of your circumstances, your surroundings, your fears and experiences. Let me say that again. Don't gloss over this. Don't lose me now, okay? This is the last thing I want to say. We're going to pray, and I want you to hear this, please. Obedience is trusting God to be who he claims to be in spite of my circumstances, my surroundings, my experiences, and my fears. The road to the cross means I'm going to trust him. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to obey him. Imagine if Joseph wouldn't have been obedient. He would have never stayed with Mary. Can you imagine if Mary would not have been obedient? She would have continued on her path. Can you imagine if Solomon wouldn't have been obedient, would have never built the temple? Or, or if David would not have been obedient, Goliath would have never been slain? Or if Joshua would not have been obedient, the walls of Jericho would still be standing today. And if Moses would have been obedient, people would still be in Egypt as slaves. And if Joseph, I'm sorry, if Joseph would have been obedient, he would have never saved Egypt from famine. And if Abraham would not have been obedient, there would have been no new nation. And if Noah wouldn't have been obedient, ooh, I didn't even know what would happen with that flood. Obedience. The road to the cross requires obedience. Would you please stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sharing with us, Lord, your personal words and thoughts. Lord, you didn't have to tell us that you cried out to your Heavenly Father and pleaded with him. You didn't have to tell us that. You could have made yourself look really good and superior. But you showed us it was real. That the road before you, the road to the cross, was going to be troublesome and, and hard. But yet, you humbly gave that up. And you obeyed your Heavenly Father. God, I pray that for this church. That the road that we have now before us, the journey we have now in living for you, is tough at times. No doubt about it for every one of us. All of our circumstances are different. All of our fears are different. But we have the same God, you, and your Son, Jesus Christ, who walks with us. We are not alone. Help us, Lord, to be humble. Help us to be obedient. Thank you, God, for humbly coming to this planet, loving us, saving us. Help us now to be obedient to you on this road to the cross. We love you, Lord. We sing to you now in our name we pray. Amen.